Hello, Barry. Welcome back. We are back again with this live stream business again. Loving it as always. Of course, though, we are having some teething issues. And uh, I mean, we've, we've been saying for the last couple of weeks that we've been surprised by the lack of teething issues because I guess that's just a normal part of the process, right? Uh, but today we've had a different situation altogether. I think we spoke too soon, Chad. We got a bit confident, a bit complacent. And uh, in the last kind of 15 minutes, we've been struggling to get this thing up. But we're finally live. We're finally with you. And I'm very excited about a brand new episode of Across the Pond. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I believe you have had a little bit of easing your side enough so that you could get back onto the hockey pitch. And I know you are really quite pleased about that. I'm feeling on top of the world, Chad. My whole body is sore. That That's one thing. So we're going to feel it tomorrow morning, that's for sure. Yeah. But to be able to get back out there and play some sport again after so, so long is absolutely incredible. We couldn't do any contact stuff, so it's very much just passing drills and staying as far away from each other as possible. But at least out there, I sweated a bit, so I really got a good run around. And even though I am very sore all over, I think it was really good. So I'm feeling top of the world, Chad. How are you doing today? That's a good thing. Uh, I'm good, dude. I'm good. Uh, had a decent day at work. Nothing too crazy, which is always good. Um, I have noticed that on your side, though, it's looking a little darker than usual because the walls <laughs> are a different color. And I must be honest, I'm quite pleased uh, that that sort of yellow tint is no longer going to be a thing on Across the Pond. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. Last time we had a, a, the podcast in an undisclosed location yep, because there were yep. painters here. And this is the final results. It really is a lot darker than it used to be across the whole house. So it certainly does take some getting used to, Chad, but I think it's a good choice overall. And it certainly does change the video background, which I know you care a lot about. <laughs> so I'm very glad that we could, for the Across the Pond listeners here, we can get a much better background on the YouTube. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let's get into it. Uh, I know people are still kind of floating their way in, but let's get into it to the week that was. The week that was. All right, Barry, will you, do you want to kick us off on this one? We, we are talking about your side of the pond. We're in South Africa and we're talking about what's happening on the vaccines. Take us through it. Yeah, Chad, there's, there's always so much movement in these stories. And every time you think you know what's going on, there's a twist and a turn. Yep. You just can't script this kind of stuff, right? So we chatted last week about these million vaccines that have arrived from India and when the, the Bloemfontein Testing Center, and these were the AstraZeneca um, brand of these vaccines. And everyone was very excited because it was very good news for the country and we felt yep. like we were getting somewhere. But unfortunately, the kind of there's been some bad news on that front in, in that these vaccines simply just aren't as effective against the brand new strain that we're experiencing here in South Africa. So there was lots of drama in the media about the fact that we've got these 1 million vaccines, but for the most part, they might be ineffective, especially against the new strain. So it's one of those things where the media certainly blew it up out of proportion. They made it sound like this was a colossal failure and all that good stuff. But the truth of the matter is that we knew that these vaccines were developed months and months ago, right? And the, and the, the strain here in South Africa just wasn't around then. So we can't expect this vaccine to just all of a sudden kind of get for the new strain. And that's what these viruses do. They mutate and they, they change over time. And so as far as I understand, this new vaccine's got, or, or the vaccine we got, has got about a 20 to 25% eff efficacy rate when it comes to the new strain, which is quite worrying because we don't actually yeah. know is there a point of actually putting them in people's bodies now or do we have to wait for other other sorts of vaccines there's been lots of talk about the johnson johnson one and, and some other vaccines around the world that potentially are more or more potent against the new strain here in south africa but it's one of those things where unfortunately i don't know how much good these million these million doses are going to be right and that's a really really sad thing to say so who knows what the real reality of the story is of course the media has run away with it the other kind of rumor that's running around is that these things might expire in april and that's very very soon and if that's the case then then we're in big trouble right because it's the, it's the middle of february um and so yeah not so not so good news on that on that front we'd have to wait and see what what comes of this um, but unfortunately, a little bit of a roadblock there, Chad. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I know the last time we spoke to you, there was a lot of optimism about the shipment of vaccines and I guess just the procurement chain of everything that Cyril laid out in terms of your, your supplies of vaccine for the rest of this year. And uh, something like this does definitely put into question all of that kind of stuff because it seems to be this horse race uh, of the vaccinations happening and the variants kind of Re recreating and mutating and spreading and all of that kind of stuff 
Um, and yeah, it, it just is so interesting, especially the way that we're looking at the South African strain and, uh, you know, the, the extra travel measures. So I don't know if you've heard, Barry, there's a kind of 10 day hotel quarantine system that's that's coming into place in uh, in the UK. And uh, not cheap either. So if you if you do go and travel and have to quarantine, it's it's about one thousand seven hundred fifty pounds for that visit. Um, and That's all tough. of this, all of these measures, is because of the variants. This is ultimately we've got. We know we have high numbers already in the country in circulation. So it's all a matter of these variants and whether they get to spread or not. Um, and it just is quite fascinating. Um, I mean, what we did see is we saw the World Health Organization say that. The AstraZeneca's jab will still offer protection uh, from the from from all variants currently known, uh, which I guess would cover the South African variant too. Uh, but an interesting approach by the government just to err on the side of caution at this point in time. Yeah, it's such a tough one because we just don't have enough data. Like I like, there's not enough studies. We haven't had enough time to to do this. We kind of forget that these vaccines have been rushed. Hey? In, in a few months, we put these things together, and so it's hard to keep up with the virus as it mutates, like you say. And I think it's a reminder for all of us that we're not going to cure this thing in like a month yeah. or two's time, right? This thing's going to be with us for a while because there's going to be a bunch of mutations over time, and we're going to have to almost learn to live with it rather than think we're going to kill it completely and never talk about it again. So I think we have to be a little bit. A little more patient. I know we I know we've asked for a lot of patience from ourselves in the last 18 months, yep. but we have to still be patient here, still kind of be disciplined and, and diligent in these sorts of things. And hopefully the, the vaccines to come will start to tackle some of some of these new strains, some of these mutations. But like you say, I had a lot of South African friends who were desperately trying to get back to the UK because yep. they were this side and they heard about the hotel stuff and they were trying to get on the first flight as quickly as possible. So it certainly is going to be an interesting couple of months when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, especially as we start to go into winter towards the middle of the year, like what is that impact going to be for us here on this side of the pond? Uh, what is morale like on that side, Chad? What, like what do the vaccines look like on that side? Have you had any sniff of yours or is it still far away for you? No, uh, like I said, I think I'm, I'm still definitely quite far away uh, in terms of the vaccine front. But the great news is we are we, we've north of 13 million people who have had their first jab which i think is just remarkable i mean last week i think we spoke we were at about the 10 million mark um those numbers are just skyrocketing and uh, i mean that's really promising so in terms of morale uh, obviously we're still in a hard lockdown so we're still feeling fairly low about that but we do have a announcement that's pending on the 22nd of feb uh, from boris and he's going to be setting out his roadmap uh, as he likes to call it for, <laughs> for you know for the coming months and easing up and all that kind of stuff. So I mean based on what we're seeing the cases are looking pretty good. We we very clearly over the peak. So hopefully we see some easing. Obviously the first and foremost priority for the government is schools and getting students back to school. I mean I've been just listening to sort of stories of people who are in their final year of school and they obviously you know they've applied to university but ultimately the teachers have to kind of assign a marking out of out of nowhere, kind of something out of the air. So schools are kind of preparing for this themselves. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of it up in the air at the moment. I just uh, sympathize quite deeply with all of those who are at school and you know just don't know when they're going back ultimately at the at the end of the day. So that's that's a bit of a, a kind of rundown of the morale on the side. Uh, how about you, Barry? It's, yeah, I, I think we've had a big switch from from last week. The the overwhelming positivity has kind of been muted a little bit by yeah. all of these 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 things come out in the media. And I don't think anyone knows what to make of it just yet. I'm always a little bit skeptical as to how the media in general runs away with stories. So it's hard yeah. to know exactly what's going on. And like I say, without the studies in place, I, I, I'm not, I don't really feel comfortable making a claim either way. Yeah. So I think that we still have to keep doing what we're doing. I think that obviously we, they've eased some restrictions. So there's a little bit more freedom and flexibility in the country, which is good. I think restaurants are happy to be able to open a little bit later and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we still have a long road ahead of us and there's a lot of work to do in, on that front. So we'll have to wait and see what happens over the next couple of weeks, especially if they're going to, are they going to ditch all the million? Are they going to put them in anyway? Yep. Who knows yep. what they're going to do with those? It's interesting. Uh, let's certainly see. I mean, any decision they take is not going to be one that's taken lightly, I guess, uh, because, you know, I guess South Africa is very thankful of receiving that batch in the first place. Now, the next thing is, 
is something that brought so much light and just bright. <laughs> like, what a turnaround in this lockdown. I'm um, so excited. I'm it's so this, excited. It's this little parish. I don't know if anyone has heard about it, this parish council. So essentially a, a section of the government, uh, this little planning and environment committee uh, that is established. Um, I think they. I must be honest. I don't know the area completely. I think it's Cheshire or something, somewhere close to to Manchester. And uh, ultimately, out of nowhere, we have this Zoom video gone completely viral. Um, ultimately, it, it's exploded on the web. On that particular day, I think it was last week. Uh, it was last week Friday or something, Barry. I know we were talking about it. I mean, the video something was like that, yeah. number one on YouTube. It was going absolutely <laughs> crazy on Twitter. And uh, I mean, we're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, let's try and play you a short little clip of this. If you're listening, you'll still get some benefit from it. Previously on Hanforth Parish Council. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. Please refer to me as Britney Spears from now on. <laughs> no, the cop, because the vice chair's here. I take charge. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Oh, hiya. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just in a meeting at the moment. Can I give you a call back when it finishes? Please, could Alan uh, Murdoch be brought back into the uh, meeting? Who's Alan Murdoch, please? Yes, please. <laughs> We're trying to have a teams meeting, you fool. We're trying to have a teams meeting, you fool. Welcome to Handforth. And now. Alrighty, I think let's let's kick it <laughs> off there. I mean, Barry, I told you about this. Uh, you took a, a little watch of the video. What were your thoughts? Chad, it's 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 so much good stuff in one video. It's so so good. You've got the you've got the older generation who doesn't quite understand how Zoom works with their yep. terrible camera angles and not knowing they're on the Zoom. You've got this like power grab within this tiny little yes. committee that doesn't actually matter that much <laughs> at the end of the day. You've got people who are bored at home and so feel like they want some some drama in their life. You've got a chairman going rogue. I mean, it goes on and on and on. If you were to go to like a screenwriter with this story and kind of tell them this they wouldn't they wouldn't write it they'd be like it's too unbelievable yeah. it's just not going to happen it is absolutely wonderful i'm so glad you sent it to me <laughs> oh what a, what a blessing what a gift what a lockdown gift to have received um so i mean so many so many things to talk about here uh like i said because of this explosion that this video has seen there's just been so much uh, going on since so obviously the this idea of, of jenny weaver who is she like secret agent sent in from some sort of higher <laughs> authority um cuts off the chairman sends him into the green room like cuts him out of the meeting uh because he's because he's disruptive ultimately at the end of the day questions about whether she had the authority to do that i've seen legal analysis kind of scouring over this barry uh, I've, I've seen so many documents released by by actual lawyers looking into this case because it is such a high profile case at this point in time um <laughs> and and yeah i mean this particular video so that little clip that i i played there is is actually a beginning of the prequel so if you if you watch the original which is what i just played uh, ultimately, there was a uh, there was a meeting that happened before that, which is the prequel. So, so much narrative here, so much to understand. We've got all of these characters who, like you say, uh, you know, were, were seemingly unimportant members of a small committee, and uh, they're now household names. Truly, we've got Brian Tolver, you know, we've got <laughs> we've got Jenny Weaver, and uh, I mean. On the, on the don't, forget, don't forget Julie's iPad, Chad. Don't forget Julie's iPad. My favorite of all of them. Julie's iPad is the, is the star of the show, in my opinion. <laughs> you can't forget Julie's iPad. Absolutely not. I mean, never mind the, the scandal about Brian Tolver, who is the, the chairman, uh, using what looks to be the, the Clark's laptop. I mean, he, he signed in at uh, Clark, of the, <laughs> Clark of the committee or something like that, uh, which was hilarious. But uh, but more seriously, we, we've seen one of the other names being brought to the fore, Barry. That is uh, the name of Barry Burkill. And uh, basically, there's a very serious vote that is taking place next week. A vote of no confidence uh, on the back of the public seeing this meeting um, because of the fact that he was seen to bring the council into disrepute by not intervening in the bullying uh, and basically, the statement that I read was that his inaction 
uh, of he, he, sort of his his inaction to to take action was was a demonstration of complicity in the situation. Uh, I find it hilarious. <laughs> and there's something about the British accent that just makes it so much better, Chad. There's something about British people fighting with those kind of posh accents, the amazing slang that they use, the kind of the the faux respect, but it's not actually there. It's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> And like you say, there's so many interesting characters behind this. Um, people have been loving it on the internet. They've been digging Absolutely. into backstories galore and trying to figure out exactly who all these people are. Um, and I think it's one of those things where now that the world has kind of cottoned onto this committee, there's going to be huge interest around next week's vote. I think it's going to be a huge deal <laughs> for a lot of people sitting yeah. at home trying to figure out what is going to happen with the Hanforth Parish Council. Um, and these guys have become celebrities in no time, which is always fun to see. It's one of the it's one of the things that I love about the internet is these sorts yeah. of stories, Chad. There's a lot of drama on the internet. There's a lot of the, the trolls and the comments and and all that good stuff. But there are these moments of gold when these these sorts of clips go viral and just show you humanity is wonderful and diverse and strange and and all of these things put together and it's oh i love it i love it so much <laughs> oh tell me about it uh i mean th there is just so much so much nuance in in the the actual story and all of the inner workings of it that, that we could dig into but um you know whether it actually has enough merit to do that i, I guess that's another question there was something else and go and, and watch fact, the video go and watch the video that's what you must you do if you to. haven't watched it already yeah yeah. Have to watch the video. Um, one of our viewers has actually left a, a little comment here uh, asking whether we've seen the video of the cat filter during a, oh, a court yes. trial. <laughs> Barry, I haven't seen this. I've heard the reference to it, oh. but I'm hoping you can bring me up to speed. Chad, it is so good. I think it happened like a day or two ago, so it's very, very recent. Okay. And basically, it's the same sort of idea. It's, it's this it's this Zoom call, but instead of a parish council meeting, it's like a court of law in Texas. I think it's right. Texas. Um, and basically, what happened is apparently the, the one guy, obviously his kid or something was using the Zoom before him, and he didn't change the settings before he went into the, into the Zoom room. And oh there was a gosh. filter on him that made his face look like a cat. Oh and there's this whole conversation talking to him about – I know I've got a filter. I'm trying to get rid of it. I don't know how to get rid of it. And there's like this two-minute conversation going back and forth with his face. It's like a cat. He's trying to be serious. Oh the, the judge is trying to be serious. And there's this wonderful line right at the end where the guy kind of like looks or doesn't look. He, he sounds resigned and he kind of says, oh. I, I'm not a cat. <laughs> it was such a wonderful line. It is a great video. It's going viral. And so, yeah, another one to go and look at. Zoom has been delivering absolute gold in the last couple of weeks. Oh, and, and this is this is kind of my thing, Barry, is why do we have to wait this long into the phase of the pandemic? I mean, we've been using Zoom and, and obviously that integration phase right at the beginning where it became like a household phenomenon where, where some people maybe knew about Zoom beforehand, not necessarily everyone. And all of a sudden, it's it's you know it's it's universal. Why has it been pretty much a full year? Like I said, since we've had our first case of COVID, it's been more than a full year. Why do we have to wait this long to get all of these gems? <laughs> I don't know, Chad. I don't know. Maybe we just weren't paying attention. Maybe there was yeah. other stuff going on. Um, but yeah, there really are some golden moments. And I think everyone who's been on these Zoom calls, like I think we've all kind of gone through these these moments of you're on mute. You're still on mute. <laughs> yes. You're still on mute. We can't hear you. Exactly. Talking over each other, the, the delays, all of the chaos. It's become part of our day-to-day -day lives. So I think it takes something really special to stand out. And we have like these moments of these, like this council where people just start screaming at each other. And, and those moments really stand out according to the, the normal kind of Zoom day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and I, there's something special about that in a way yeah. because it almost is a – it's kind of a symbol of all the chaos we've been through in the last 18 months and the way the world has changed to be able to laugh at ourselves, to be able to laugh at kind of these sorts of moments is a, is a big deal. And it really kind yeah, of lightens yeah. the mood a little bit. So yeah, I wish we had more of them, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I certainly do too. I'm, I'm sure it's not over. We will see a whole lot more of this. It might become a, a genre of entertainment in itself. I mean, the, the question of, of whether a lot of these things can actually even be released publicly, that's the next question. But um, I mean, obviously, yeah. in this case, there was public interest because of the fact that it's a, it's a committee and there were public members in the call and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we, we, we saw it come out. Okay, Barry, I'm going to move on to the next thing, which I, I know you are frothing at the mouth to speak about. Uh, we, we're talking Bitcoin again and our dear friend, Elon 
Chad. Every time we think that he's done, we think that he's going to take some time off. He even said on Twitter he's going to take a few days off. He lied to all of us. Uh, we chatted about him putting Bitcoin into his bio a couple of days ago and kind of pushing the the, yep. the cap market cap up by $40 billion or something. And uh, the reason he did that, Chad, was because Tesla, his, his kind of pride and joy, had gone and bought one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin wow. to put onto their balance sheet. And so when they made the SEC filing with all their new results, it was kind of buried in the filing and it, it set the world a lot because this is a very, very big investment from Tesla. Yep. It means that if you own Tesla stock, you now have Bitcoin exposure to quite a significant degree. Um, and it kind of, it, it took over the whole internet. Everyone was talking about this. And of course, the Bitcoin price went went to the moon again. Um, and it's one of those things where Tesla are now putting their money where their mouth is and putting a significant amount of capital towards this. What I do think is interesting, Chad, is that I've read a lot of analyses about it and a lot of kind of reasons about why they would do something like this. From a treasury perspective, it's not a smart move, right? It's very speculative. It's very risky. Um, and I I mean, I can imagine there must have been a lot of back and forth when it comes to making a decision like this. But at the other side of the coin, if you think about it as a marketing ploy, it's absolutely brilliant. Yep. If you think about the, the, the companies that spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad this last weekend, or, or the companies that spent billions of dollars on advertising, Tesla made this, made this investment. The Bitcoin price went up crazy, so they made a huge profit immediately. So they almost, got, almost paid themselves in order to get on the front page of every newspaper in the world in a weird way. So if you think about it as a marketing ploy, it's absolutely genius in, in my in my opinion, especially because one and a half billion sounds like a lot of money, but with Tesla, they've got billions and billions of dollars in cash in the, in, in the bank. So it's not really a, a huge deal for them. Um, but it certainly does, it makes you wonder what sorts of companies are now going to get on the back of this and start to do a similar thing. It's, it feels like Bitcoin is having a renaissance of sorts. It feels like it's starting to, to go really big. Another big piece of news that happened yesterday is that MasterCard announced that they're going to start allowing merchants to accept Bitcoin as payments, which yep. is a much bigger deal in yep. my opinion. But it hasn't got the media attention it, it, it should have because Elon is just much more fun to, to write about, right? So yeah. the fact that MasterCard is going to allow merchants to accept Bitcoin is a big, big deal because it opens up this idea that to, up until this point, no one's actually spent their Bitcoin. No one's kind of like yeah. bought yeah. anything with their Bitcoin. And the moment that MasterCard, which is obviously a behemoth in the space, opens up that capability, it could change everything. So I think in the crypto space, it, it's, it, there's never been a more exciting time in the last couple of months. It's really been a lot of stuff going on. And if you, if you, if you believe in the technology and you believe this is the future of money, it's, it's a very exciting time to be thinking about this stuff. Yeah, exciting indeed. And uh, you, you're completely right on the MasterCard front. I, I certainly think that's much bigger news. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the Tesla, the Tesla, but we have to we have to chat about, I mean, just in terms of, uh, I mean, you mentioned the Treasury piece there, but just in terms of kind of corporate governance as well. And just this idea of Elon uh, having, a, you know, having an investment in this, uh, in this Bitcoin sitting sitting over there in, uh, in the company. And kind of using his power ultimately to affect that price. Now we've we've spoken we spoken before about him putting out a tweet uh, to say that the Tesla share price is incorrectly valued in his opinion and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of this a lot of this activity in my mind uh, seems to be the wrong side of grey. Yeah, dude, I I don't know what to think about it because we've spoken a lot about market manipulation in the last couple of weeks because of the GameStop stuff yeah. and 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 when is it okay to kind of pump almost pump and dump yourself? Like Elon can move the price of Bitcoin like this with a tweet, like yeah. you say, and so it, it is a bit it is a bit it is a bit dodgy that they've bought this Bitcoin and then he's gone and promoted it and, and made a crazy amount of money. I think that they made more profit from this Bitcoin in this little period than they've ever made selling cars, something crazy like that. So it's a huge amount of money, right? And and like you say, the, the market manipulation side is difficult to understand as to what we should be thinking about. Yeah. I've been fascinated by the fact that the days of fundamentals feel like they're behind us, Chad. Like when we were studying accounting, we would learn that to value a company, you look at their cash flows, you look sure. at their, their net asset value, you'd like run all these models, kind of try and predict what the future value of this company is going to be and discount it and all these fancy yep. things, yep. focusing on the fundamentals of the company. But if you look at the stock market in the last six months, it's been like playing cards. It's like I mean, trading cards. We've been, we've been trading on the price of belief, not on fundamentals at all. 
right? Yeah. I, I think Tesla, I, I personally think Tesla is grossly overvalued, but overvalued in terms of their net asset value, not in terms of the belief that people have around the company. And it feels like share prices are much more, they're moving much more because of people's belief and because of some sort of almost like religious like understanding of who Elon is. And yeah. so I'm a big Elon fan. I, I've been, I've, I haven't like hit that from anybody, but I don't think he should have the power to move a market in the way that he does because it goes against all the economics and all the, 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 the key financial system that we all rely on. And so yeah. personally, I think the U S market is in a big bubble. I, I'm concerned by events like this because how, how long can we do this? How long can we do it where the share price is completely disassociated from the actual fundamentals of the business? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you on on that part. I mean, I've never I've never had that uh, blind uh, just obsession with Elon uh, as a lot of people are in his club. I mean, to me, he just he just feels like a loose cannon. Uh, like like you said, for those people who have held Tesla stocks and who potentially had no affinity for Bitcoin and had no personal uh, willingness to invest in something they saw as a risky uh, potential commodity. They now are invested, uh, whether they like it or not, and uh, and that is sort of risky action. I I feel um, certainly in in terms of the utility piece, I think that is that is great because, like you say, it's now giving a little bit more credibility to the currency, and and people have more options of of what to do with it. Um, so so that is certainly very good. But just in terms of the the corporate governance side, uh, and and what you're saying, just in terms of fundamentals too, it, it is we, we kind of feel like what way is up at the moment uh, with with the GameStop prices and uh, like you say with, with Tesla and Bitcoin and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, we haven't even spoken about uh, the the dog. Is it dog e coin? Doge coin? How do, Doge how do you pronounce coin. it? Doge coin. Doge coin. <laughs> Doge coin to the moon. Come on. <laughs> I mean, tell me tell me about all of that. Uh, is he trolling us again or is, is this kind of something else that he, he's been serious about or is he just kind of backing the idea of of crypto regardless of which one it is so this is funny because if you're not in the crypto market you can get very carried away with dogecoin but what if you what you don't know is that it's a parody coin dogecoin has been a parody right from the beginning of, of crypto uh the kind of thing it makes it special is that there's infinite supply of dogecoin anyone okay. can make dogecoin and so it's completely valueless. It's a comp it's complete nonsense. And the whole idea was it was trying to make fun of all the other coins at that point in time right. when, when at the first crypto hype back in 20, when is it, 14 or something, when the first hype was happening, Dogecoin was a response and it was using that meme of that dog that's very yeah. popular and kind of that was the, the the mascot of the coin. But it's got zero value. And there's this idea that they want to get it to $1 and it's a, it's a meme basically. And so Elon is just feeding into this meme because I think he enjoys it. So that one is a troll. But it kind of distracts from from yeah. the power of crypto itself, right? But what's funny is that if you, people aren't doing their research, a lot of people are just following him because they think they can make a quick buck without understanding that Dogecoin is a joke. And so if you don't know that, you can kind of just follow Elon and, and the way he's pumped it. I mean, the price has gone up. You could have made some yeah. money for sure, but it's going to come crashing down. And again, just like GameStop, millions and millions of people are going to lose their hats. And unfortunately, they're going to get absolutely crushed by this because they're not doing their research. And that's why I have a problem with this idea that trading stocks is just playing a video game. Yep. Like I, I feel like it's being trivialized to the point where these apps make it so easy to just click up or down. Cool, I think it's going to go up. I'm going to click this. And all of a sudden, I've bought a call on this that's going to kind of have an expiry date in two weeks' time that's going to hold me to some sort of margin call. There was a big story coming out of the U.S. where um, Robinhood, of course, is the app in the U.S. that's allowed a lot of this democratization of investing. And there was a guy that committed suicide oh, because wow. he, got an, he got an email from, from Robinhood and, and the email said something like he needed to deposit $180,000 to cover his margin on yeah. a call or a put that he, that, he, that he signed. And he didn't have the money and freaked out and killed himself. And now that family is suing Robinhood for that email. And uh -huh. what that guy didn't know because he wasn't financially savvy is that the call that he had, he could have used it to... To, he could have sold and got rid of it and used that liquidity to kind of fix that margin call. Right. So it wasn't like he needed that money. He just didn't understand how the instrument worked. And that's the problem when you get unsophisticated investors coming into this market and treating it as a game, treating it as like a, a trading card game and following Dogecoin or following Elon and all these, these wild goose chases. And it really distracts from the fundamentals of investing. And I don't know if I'm being a snob about that because I'm a financial person. And so I don't know if it's, it's, it's that idea of I want my knowledge to, to stick around. But I don't know how to value a company these days because 
in my opinion, the, the value on the stock market means nothing compared to the fundamentals because yeah. people are playing it like a video game. And that's scary to me because that 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 is the sign of a bubble. That is the sign of another financial crisis. And so we have been on the longest bull market in, in like modern history. We've been in a bull market for like 10 years now. Um, I, I'm really worried, Chad. And, and I think that anyone who's invested in stocks right now needs to think carefully about what they're doing because I do think a correction is coming. I don't know when, but I, I, I can't see this going on much longer. Oh, that is that is fascinating indeed. Uh, so just certainly the scale of your worry, which I can hear in your in the tone of your voice. Uh, but I mean, this is is certainly not a trivial matter. Matter, and like you say, every man and his dog is getting involved in uh, in buying equity these days, and it's 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 to, it's totally not uh, not as simple as it may seem. And you've got all of these guys on Reddit who, you know, like you say, are are not financially savvy. Uh, some of them might think they are. Um, but but they're just blindly following uh, what everyone else is doing. And uh, like you said, at some point in time, you, you're going to get burnt. So uh, yeah, certainly quite a risky place to be involved in. Um, that, I think, brings to an end all of our this past week stuff. Shall we move on? Let's move on, Chad. Stuff I found interesting. Right. So the first thing I wanted to bring up this segment, Chad, is a little show called The Office, which is actually, I'm being facetious because it's a huge show. Um, And I'm coming to the party very late because this thing was years and years ago, Chad. So I don't know why I've never given it a chance before, but it recently came onto Netflix and a lot of people are talking about it. And so I decided, let me, let me see what the hype is about. Let me see what the buzz is about. Have you watched it first of all, before I go into this? I haven't watched it. I must be honest. Uh, I'm guilty of, of, again, not having watched something that is <laughs> mainstream, that everyone loves. Uh, this is not the first time that this has happened. <laughs> it's, it's really nothing to apologize about. There's okay. so much good stuff out there. Like There's no expectation whatsoever. But I, I kind of came into it having a lot of friends recommend it to me. And there's a, 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 the, kind of the memes coming out of the office are probably the biggest thing. I'm sure you've seen some of the memes. It, it's it's what made Steve Carell famous. Yep. It's a really, really famous show that came out, I think, in 2012 or so, somewhere around there. And so I sat down and I watched the first few, Chad, and I found them so dry. I found the humor so – I was like cringing the whole way through. I was like, what yep. the hell is going on? Why do people love the show so much? And I kind of gave up, to be honest. I kind of said, this is not for me. I watched three or four episodes. I was like, cool, it's not, it's not happening. So I left it for about a week. And then I had a conversation with a friend the other day. And they said, no, 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 just, just keep pushing through. It's like one of those shows where you have to invest a little bit before you start to get the returns. Right. And so reluctantly, I said, okay, cool, I'm going to keep going. So I keep, kept watching, kept watching. And all of a sudden, the show started to open up for me. Because uh, what you realize is that all the side characters you thought were just in the background of The Office actually have their own stories. And it becomes like a lot more a lot more depth and a lot more funny over time as you get to learn these characters. Yeah. And Chad, I've made a complete 180 on this show. From the beginning, I thought it was really, really bad. And I'm now obsessed with it. I just finished season three. And there's six more seasons to go. And uh, I think it's absolutely brilliant in in its own way it it kind of it it breaks the fourth wall because the whole idea is that it's it's done in a documentary format so it's almost like this documentary crew is following around this this paper uh, selling company so the company's called dunder mifflin and they are they sell paper to people and they are struggling because the world is going paperless and no one's buying paper like they used to and it's this whole thing of, of watching this office unfold and for anyone who's worked in a corporate who understands the cubicle right. life, understands the phones and the, the weird characters and all the, the nuts and bolts that come with working in a corporate, there's so much good stuff here. <laughs> it sounds good. I mean, well done for plowing through. I know I've, I've watched a couple of series. Uh, none come straight to mind right away. But uh, where you have, you, have to go, you have to go a few episodes in before you actually even get to pick up what, is, what it's all about and why people love it. Um, and I mean, I, I know my fiance started one the other day, which a lot of people have said is amazing. Uh, it's called Shit's Creek. Uh, and I don't think it's spelt the way you think it's spelt. Um, but again, she also <laughs> didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, and I, I guess it, it just takes a little bit of investment just to kind of get to know the characters and get to know exactly what's happening. I remember the very first episode of Modern Family that I watched, actually, now that I talk about it and sparks to mind, uh, the, the camera techniques that they use, uh, which is very kind of shaky and it, it gives you that, you know, very kind of rough around the edges 
feeling. Uh, I felt very uneasy about it for the first couple of episodes and also wasn't sure whether <laughs> I'd enjoy the, the series at all. And, you know, I absolutely love Modern Family now. Um, so I guess it's one of those very important things to just plow through that, that first couple of episodes and, uh, and, and just kind of get there. But I, just in terms of Steve, Steve Carell, I mean, are you typically a fan? I know, you know, as far as, far as Steve Carell um, sort of spectators go, they really are on both ends of the, of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah I, I have no strong feelings either way i know that right. some people love him and some people absolutely despise <laughs> him uh, I, I have no strong feelings but what i can say is that in this role that he plays he's absolutely brilliant cool. um th this is the u.s version that i'm watching and i think there was a uk version before this where ricky gervais played the same character um and so i haven't watched the ricky gervais version in, in the uk so i don't know how that's different but in the u.s version he, he is the perfect casting for this role and he brings like this vibrancy this dry humor and this kind of silliness to the role that's really special and so i know this is what made him famous so this is what launched his career as an actor and yeah going forward i've I mean, I like him in some stuff, not don't like him in other stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any strong feelings, but I think for this role, he was absolutely perfect. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. And maybe that's because I've been watching so much of it. Maybe if I had a different idea, maybe that would be the case. Um, but I wanted to pick up on one other point you mentioned before, Chad, is that we often have to understand how the business works in TV. And often the first couple of episodes are done as pilots. Yeah, they're done with exactly. very little budget. They're kind of yep. trying to figure out what they're going to be. They're trying to pitch to, to executives and to production studios. And so often the first kind of few episodes before they've got the green light to say, yep. cool, let's go ahead with this thing, are a little bit shaky, a little bit all over the place. And that's why I think it's always worth a, a little bit of investment, especially if you've got a lot of friends telling you, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Um, and so I certainly am glad I've done that. And I hope that if you're listening right now and you've watched a couple and you thought, oh, this is a bit strange, just hang in there. I promise you it gets really good. So what's that whole UK and US version all about? I just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit lost when you when you explain that whole scenario because you've got the same, is it the same storyline, same characters with two different casts? It just feels really weird to me that you would do that. Um, I mean, obviously when we're talking about theater, you understand why you've got different casts and why it gets reproduced in different parts of the world. But when we like today, when you have the access to broadcasters media across the globe uh, with, you know, through so many channels, why on earth would you recreate a series with a different cast? So I don't think the story is the same as far uh, as I understand. So I, what I think that what I think the first, the first guys did, the UK guys did was they, they broke new ground because no one thought a show in an office could be funny, right? If you right. spend any time in an office, it's hard to imagine that being an entertaining show. It's like, what what, what could you possibly do in that <laughs> setting to make this thing entertaining, right? It's kind of similar to the, the to the chess movies, to the Queen's Gambit. Like they were, everyone was wondering how are you going to make a movie about chess really yeah. compelling? Yeah. And so the UK version, even before the US version, broke new ground and they showed that by making interesting characters, by making it very silly, by kind of turning it on its head and, and really showing the intricacies of an office environment, you can make a really powerful show. And so what the US version did was just kind of copy that format. So the format and the way they shoot the show and kind of the way they, they do it is the same. But I don't think the stories are the same because UK humor and US humor is very different. Yeah. As far yeah. as I understand, the UK show is a little bit more dramatic. It's less funny. It's more emotional. It's more kind of in-depth. The US show feels very slapstick comedy in a sense. There are moments of emotion and moments of drama that are kind of more deep, but it's much more slapstick than its UK counterparts. And I say this having not watched the UK counterpart, <laughs> but just read about it. So take it with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes a bit more sense. Uh, yeah, because I was quite confused when you when you even mentioned the idea of, of just two separate ones. Um, but yeah, interesting. Uh, I have certainly been looking for some kind of just mindless stuff to watch, I guess, you know, we, we, there's loads of deep stuff out there and sometimes you do want to just have that that mindless thread going through. I mean, I've been watching quite a bit of Queer Eye with my fiance uh, when we're eating and, and doing that kind of stuff. Um, and it really is such a good, like, kind of feel-good series uh, to watch watch these the Fab Five, uh, these kind of five gay guys come into some person's life um and and just turn it upside down really and uh and just just bring the most kind of joy and inner inner happiness and uh figure out all the various ruts these people are in uh, wardrobe overall halls house redo all of that kind of stuff um, i've been enjoying that kind of thing so yeah i think it's really important to to have that uh just lower lower depth 
stuff to to watch as well. Um, Barry, the next thing we want to chat about is the social media platform we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. That is Clubhouse. I know it's still very much in its infancy. Um, And ultimately, you obviously forcedly had to give me an invite uh, and I snuck my way (laughs) into the door. Um, But I've been enjoying it. Uh, I certainly have, I've kept it under check. So whenever I go on, uh, you know, it's once or twice a week at most. But when I'm on, I am on for quite a long period of time and I get sucked into these really great conversations. Uh, But you potentially uh, disagree or are starting to have a different kind of view. My feelings have changed about it. Um, yeah. Having having now tried it for for a week or two now and tried to jump into a couple of rooms and I've spoken a couple, which is interesting. Um, and I'm getting the feeling, Chad, that I don't think is as great as we first thought, <laughs> in my opinion. And let me tell you why. Right. I think that in order to get the value out of Clubhouse, you have to be spending a lot of time on the app, right? The vast majority of the rooms are just not interesting, in my opinion, right? So the right. vast majority are not interesting. Every now and then, a room can be really powerful, and, and and that's when there's some really interesting people on it, or perhaps a topic that really speaks to you, um, or perhaps it's a smaller room where there's more intimacy and it feels yeah. more like a like a hangout. I think those are really cool, but a lot of the rooms that I've been in, it it feels a little bit a little bit time intensive. Like I don't know if I should be spending two hours in a conversation yeah, yeah. to try and pull out a couple of nuggets, right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe for a networking perspective to meet people, it, it could be a good way to go about it. But when I compare it to a podcast where a podcast is is directed, the conversation is is well well structured, it's it's kind of it's more tight. If I compare listening to a two-hour podcast, the amount of value I'm getting out of that compared to two hours on Clubhouse, I just I don't think they compare, to be honest. Yeah. Where I think it's powerful is if you are the one doing the talking. If you're the one who are building a brand on there and if you're hosting your own rooms and you're starting conversations, I think it's a great brand-building play, and that's pretty exciting. But I just... I don't see the value of spending two hours on there in order to get the in order to get something out of it. Mm. What do you think of that? I think I think you've got some good reasons there, and uh, I mean, I certainly I certainly resonate having felt a bit bored for a couple of minutes. Uh, but like you said, then you get a nugget, and the nugget makes it worthwhile. Um, I certainly think it's great to be able to interact with people you would otherwise not have access to. But that is potentially because of the fact that it's still in its infancy stage, because of the fact that the number of people on the app is limited. When those floodgates open, and for all intents and purposes, you have as many Instagram followers or as many YouTube followers as these people currently have, are you really going to be able to put your hand up and, and get onto the stage and say your few words? Uh, th- that's that's really the question. So. I agree with you on the networking front. I think I think that's where a lot of people are getting their value from at the moment. We've seen, as always, with new social media platforms, uh, these kind of new uh, people arise out of nowhere and and become absolute authorities. Uh, but the question, I guess, is whether a lot of these people are using their ability to speak and ultimately faking credentials. We've spoken about this before, Barry, and this is an app where that is very possible um and i I mean for for a lot of for a lot of the the kind of rooms i've been in i have seen a little bit of that where people are kind of punting their own brand punting their own other social media channels and and tried to get people to to go on to there um but i do think there's a bit of positivity i still i'm yet to have gone into a room where uh, there is any kind of malicious intent uh certainly on a broad scale i haven't seen any crazy confrontation Uh, everyone's been very civil and has kind of try to put their best foot forward. If they're going up to the stage, for the most part, I'd say a majority of people have something to say. Uh, but but there is always that case where, you know, people just like their voice and they just want to go on uh, on their soapbox and, and ultimately just draw some attention to themselves. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of skill to moderate one of these rooms. I, I've seen yeah. a huge difference in, the, in, in a good moderator versus a bad moderator and how that conversation comes out. Because like you say, there's a lot of ego on the app. There's yeah. a lot of social status, people trying to, to sell themselves and trying to make something of this platform. Um, and that's that, that's part and parcel of every social network, but it feels more intense on Clubhouse for some reason. And it, it requires the moderator to be actually be quite strict and to mm. be quite um, structured in how they're running that conversation in order to make it work. I think the more intimate the room, 
the better the quality of the conversation. Right. And I think it's the case for a lot of social media apps, right? And so I really worry about what happens when those floodgates open. And they have to open soon, Chad. I sent you a yeah, message yeah. today. Uh, Twitter <laughs> has got a Clubhouse competitor ready to go. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Instagram is going to have one in the next couple of weeks. And so like you're going to have to move quickly as Clubhouse. I don't know what they do I, I, like because these big behemoths can very easily plug this functionality into the existing apps and uh, compete directly as they have done with all the other features we've seen across the years. And yeah. so I think Clubhouse are in an interesting position now. Like, how do they do this? Like, the, the limited invite has been an amazing marketing strategy. It's been absolutely brilliantly executed, and it's built this hype around this app. Yep. But I'm not as excited about it as I once was. Um, I think the opportunity cost of spending a large amount of time on that app, if you're not in the, if you're not running the conversation, if you're not kind of networking quite proactively, I, I just wonder if that time would be spent better somewhere else. Yeah, I, I do. I do actually agree with that. I mean, when, when you plugged into a podcast, somehow you can kind of carry on with another task in the background. Whereas this is quite consuming because of the fact that it's live. As soon as somebody pops up, you want to, you want to see their credentials. You want to click on their profile and look at, you know, what it is that they're all about, look on their social media channels, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, and it does, it does become a bit of a time suck. So it's interesting to see when, like like we said, when the number of users scale up, what's going to happen to the quality of those conversations. Um, and then also the, the path to monetization. At the moment, you're feeling a little bit uh, iffy about the app, not completely convinced about its model. What about when you have to start listening to ads at the beginning of every room or, you know, midway through a conversation? What are you going to do then? Yeah, it's hard to say. It really is hard to say. I think that... I love the concept. That's why I'm struggling with this because I love the concept of what they're trying to do. And when it comes to social networks, it feels more social than a Twitter yeah. or an Instagram because it really feels more like a community. Um, and I don't know if that's because of the way the app is built or just the fact that it's more intimate than it it could be other way somewhere else. Um, but like you say, monetization has to come down the pipe at some point. There have been lots of articles talking about how much the bandwidth is costing them to host all imagine. of these audio feeds in real yeah. time. Um, and that's one of the reasons they've kind of uh, – stop people from coming in is because they're trying to figure out how do we have to get the server bandwidth to be able to handle all of this. Yep. It's very different to a tweet. It's, it's a very, very different kind of ball game completely. And so I'm sure there's tons of investors who are putting billions and billions of dollars into it because it's like this, this hot new thing. But how do you monetize it in a way that makes sustainable without ruining the experience? I get the feeling that if you go into three rooms in a row and have a bad experience, you're not going to come back. I don't think it's it's like one of those things where yeah. if you're in that in that clubhouse mood, then for sure that's great. Another thing that I think we, we chatted about briefly last week was that what happens when the pandemic is over and people go back yeah, to yeah, work, yeah. right? Exactly. It's very easy right now to sit two hours in a room because everyone's sitting at home and there's not much else to do anyway. So it kind of it fits the current climate. What happens when people are back to normal full day jobs and someone like an Elon and what whatnot doesn't have the time to yeah. come onto these apps and make it viral in a sense. Um, and so those are the reasons that I have skepticism. I'd love to be proved wrong. I'd love for it to become a really, really powerful thing. But I, I have a sense that this is going to be a, a very fast burn. And then, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to last, Chad. Interesting. I, I mean, I was fascinated by the message you sent me this morning about Twitter's response and the little screenshot of how that implementation might look. I mean, the speed at which they've acted, we've got to commend them on that, Barry. This is, uh, you know, they've, they've probably been working the midnight oil putting this code together in the background to get the stuff released in the kind of timelines that we have. I mean, when we look at kind of copies of, of networks in the past and we talk about uh, what Instagram did to sort of Snapchat as an example, that took long. That took a real long time. And, and when, they, when they did eventually release their stories feature, uh, you know, those filters just couldn't didn't touch sides with what Snapchat had to offer. So to be able to release something at this kind of speed, um, but again, I mean, I used that South African word with you this morning, Barry, and that is scam. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to explain scam. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's no shame, right? There's no shame in these social media apps. They 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 are ruthless. They ultimately there's no kind of you know no no dignity in competition. Uh, if you want to get into the game, if you want to release a competitor go ahead and do it. Uh, it's, it's kind of just crazy. 
And it kind of seems unique to the industry. I can't think of many other industries where you've seen such blatant copycats yeah. and, and, and how fast they do it. It seems very special for social media companies. And I wonder if it's the Zuckerberg effect. I think Zuckerberg has been the CEO who has had no scam, like you say, from, right from the beginning. Yeah. He has tried every feature under the sun in, he, in his platforms, and he's been very very like serious about that and very aggressive about it. And um, when I sent you the, the photo of him in one of the clubhouse rooms, <laughs> the internet went mad because they were like, oh, he's just doing his research. That's all he's doing. So he can pull this and go and, and, go and do it the other side. Yep. I want to put a conspiracy theory to you, Chad, and hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> oh, no. Do you reckon that at, at the size of these apps and the size of these companies, do you think they, they have spies in the competitor companies? Like, for example, do you think Facebook has got spies that go and work for Twitter or Pinterest or all these other companies and feed information back to them? Am I crazy with that sort of idea? I don't think you're crazy. Uh, I mean, of, of Silicon Valley, I, I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, we, we're talking about these intellectuals who, you know, who work for the one, they would easily be able to get in at the other. Um, and obviously, they go in with their resume saying that they've spent X amount of time with the with the competitor. You never know. Ultimately, uh, <laughs> you'd like to think not, but it's very, very possible. I mean, when we when we thought, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is, Barry, but the, the guy who was in Google working on uh, ultimately the, the gamification, if you'd like, of... Uh, of how notifications look and uh, capturing our attention and all that kind of stuff and how easily it was how easy it was for him to publish a report that went viral across the firm uh you know having left the firm and and very very quickly being able to make a name for himself um i, I don't think it's such a hard thing for for these guys to do i guess it depends on the legal teams on each of these social media platforms yeah i think it's difficult because this the stuff leaks out so quickly and so easily and so, like, I think the spies is, is a, it may be a little bit of a stretch, but but I, I think that this so this sort of corporate espionage has to be part of the equation. Surely, surely there's a team at Twitter whose sole job is to look out for new features and new ideas coming out of the, the ecosystem and then build MVPs very, very quickly to try and prototype things and get things going as quickly as possible. I think that speed is such a key part of competing yep. in this landscape. And at this kind of scale, I... I don't think it's naive to think they've got teams that are focused on that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what, what Facebook, Instagram, Twitter come out with. Um, I saw LinkedIn ads, added stories this week, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> so stories is everywhere now. You can have your story on WhatsApp and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere you want. Um, so that's quite funny. And I think we're going to see clubhouse type features coming to all the apps very soon. Yeah, and when that happens, so when when it does get released in, in on Twitter, and there are you know millions of users around the world, what what happens to radios? What happens to to radio stations? And you know us actually tuning into uh, the seven o'clock show with our favorite host of all time, and he has got this very highly <laughs> coveted connection to uh, whoever it is he's interviewing. What happens at that point in time when you do have Elon and Kanye who can just pick up the phone, have a conversation, and attract? crazy kind of audiences uh does demand for radio kind of fall i think it dies chad i don't know about you i haven't listened to a radio show in years yeah. um and so all of my listening has shifted to podcasts because i can listen directly to people that i find interesting and i don't have to worry about um, catching the right time or like a mass market appeal i can be very niche in what shows i choose and so i think radio dies i think that all of that kind of mass media will die eventually we're, we're going towards this world where you've got these long tail very niche things i don't know if we're going to see a a breakout star that's going to have millions and billions and billions of views going forward i think everyone's going to find their own unique audiences yeah. and it's going to be much more democratized in that sense and so i do think that dies and i think it I think it's already dead. I mean, maybe Howard Stern still has a very good audience in the US. Yeah. He's kind of a an OG in the space. But beyond him, there's very few of them who are actually doing that. And I think the same for journalism as well. Like, mm. if you imagine... Do you want do you want to read an article about Elon or do you want to listen directly to Elon? Yeah. It's 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 like what is journalism's role going to be in trying to write up these stories because they're going to be much slower than Twitter. They're much slower than the actual people. And and who needs a PR team? Elon doesn't have a PR team anymore. He just tweets stuff, right? <laughs> and that's kind of how the world has gone. And so the world of journalism, the world of mass media is changing under our feet. And it's going to a very, very direct model where you can tune into 
the exact people you want to learn from. And that's going to change everything. And if you don't adapt to that, you're going to die, I think. Yeah, and ultimately, if you don't know what it is that you like, uh, which which I've done a couple of times, you end up being in this uh, kind of left out position where, uh, you know, ultimately there isn't that kind of curation uh, of, of people deciding for us what's good. Uh, so you, you really do need to drill into your interest and drill into what you find interesting to get any real value or, or meaning anymore. Let's then move on to our next segment. Develop and grow. Alrighty, I found a quote this week, Barry, that I wanted to bring up here because it's some it's something that I've I've never really thought about. And when I read this quote, as all all you know good quotes do, they really do make you stop in your tracks and just question things, question your perspective and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to read out this quote. It's quite a long one, uh, so do kind of bear with me. The quote is. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your hard. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your hard. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your hard. Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. But we can choose our hard. Pick wisely. And I love that. I absolutely love that because it's, it's so true. In each of those examples, it's a practical example that uh, is complete opposite sides of the spectrum on each of whatever scenario it's discussing. Um, but it's, it's so true. You, you ultimately have a choice in the matter. And, uh, you know, depending on whether you want to put in the effort and uh, immerse yourself into uh, seeing, the, seeing the positives and, and getting the most out of these things, you really can. Uh, whereas if you, you know, are just just distraught and let everything kind of take over, ultimately you'll be you'll be in the in that negative position. What do you think, Barry? I think it's great. I think it kind of talks to this idea that everything is a trade-off. Sometimes we get into this 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 idealistic viewpoint that we're going to find the way to make our life perfect. We're going to get the money that we need. We're going to find partner that we want. Everything's going to kind of fit into place. We find this perfect space where nothing ever goes wrong. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. As you upgrade your lifestyle and as you get more successful and as you kind of move forward in your life, you just trade your problems for different problems. You don't get rid of your problems altogether. Yeah. And so we have to understand that. It, it almost talks to like the, the, the Buddhist idea that suffering is everywhere and you just got to choose your suffering and, and deal with it. Like there's no way to escape that. And so there's no way to escape the hardness of life. Unfortunately, we don't live in a video game. We don't live in some 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 sort of like, uh, what's the word? Some sort of amazing utopia. We live in a very difficult society and, and life is difficult sometimes. And so I like this idea of, Let's not let's not ignore that. Let's really, really make a right choice and really go forward from there. Completely agree. And uh, you know, I've just put live on the on, onto our screen uh, one of our viewers, and yeah, just responding to the quote, just saying we don't always have control of what happens in in life, but we always have a choice. Uh, and and it's so true. How are you how are you going to view the things that that the cards that you get dealt, and how are you going to respond to those uh, when, when they do happen? It, it's so true. It kind of reminds me of another quote. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's, he's like a big bodybuilder. I think he's Polish or something. And the quote is simple. It says, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, yeah. hard life. Yeah. Right? And it's this idea that if you do the things that are difficult, but you know that are good for you, you're going to have an easy life. Things are going to work out for you. But if you take the easy path, if you take the path of least resistance, you try and take shortcuts, it's going to catch up with you and you get, get bitten at the end of the day. And so it's this idea of delayed gratification. A lot, a lot of these comparisons you read out, Chad, yeah, yeah. it's about the long-term versus the short-term, right? It's like, exactly. are you willing to sacrifice some short-term pleasure or comfort or kind of your comfort zone for longer-term happiness and fulfillment? And the more you're able to do that, the better your life is going to be. So it's trying to understand my life is not just this moment. Sure, I can eat the chocolate cake right now and I'll feel amazing. Yeah. But in an hour's time, I'm going to feel bloated and, and, and I'm going to get away from my fitness goals and whatnot. Whereas if I can say no to the chocolate cake right now, it's going to suck right now because I'm going to be like, oh, eat my broccoli or whatever I'm going to eat instead, right? Um, but over the longer term, you're going to be much happier and much, and much better. So I, I like this idea of choosing your heart. 
Like mm. what is going to matter to you? What do you want your life to look like? And then understand that's going to take sacrifice. You can't have it all. You're going to have to have trade-offs. You're going to have to sacrifice things. And if you acknowledge that and you take it on the chin and you say, cool, this is what needs to happen, that's how you build a good life. Absolutely love it. Uh, I'm glad you took as much out of it from, you know, as I did uh, seeing this quote. And I hope our listeners did as well uh, when they do get around to listening to this episode. So Barry, it is a one hour and kind of 19 seconds. And again, we end up right on time. Uh, definitely getting good at uh, definitely good at getting good at timing this at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly a couple of technical glitches. Uh, we're still building our regularity of, of our live streams. Um, and, and I hope as we do that, people kind of get us into their schedules as well and, and tune in every week, uh, you know, for, for our live recording. How was this for you? Really good, Chad. Like I say, in the beginning, there were some, some serious glitches. So I was a little bit worried. I was sweating before we started. <laughs> but when we get into the conversation, I just love this, these sorts of conversations. I think that it's so much fun for me. And I hope it adds value to the people listening right yeah. now, whether you're with us live or whether you're listening to it after the fact. Um, these topics, are I'm so passionate about them. And so the opportunity to be able to share some of my thoughts is absolutely awesome. So if you've made it this far, you are a rock star as always. We really appreciate you. And across the pond is going to the moon, Chad. We're going to the moon. <laughs> well, let's hope we get there, Barry, definitely. But if we don't get there, <laughs> we, we'll hit the stars, right? Um, which, which is the next best thing. Uh, obviously, if you, if you are subscribed here, amazing. Thank you very much. But if you're not, I want to quickly throw out some of our social media channels. We've got some fancy things this week. Obviously, we're on YouTube, Ooh. Across the Pond Podcast. We're on Twitter at Across underscore podcast. On Instagram too you'll find us there at across the podcast and uh, last but not least uh, we're on facebook too at across the pond podcast thank you so much for tuning in and as always we'll catch you next week pond, 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 across the pond.